Amen. Aren't you thankful that he has the last word? You know, there's something that has the last word in our lives at all times, isn't it true? Like maybe for you it's a job or a relationship or there's something that usually has that last word and that last word can be a negative or a positive, whatever that may be. But you know, the scripture reveals that Christ does have the last word. The cross, the resurrection, the fact he's coming again. He, in fact, in Revelation, John writes that he, he says the last word, which is, behold, I'm coming soon. Christ has the last word, and he will have the last word of every life in this room. He will have the last word, and I'm thankful that he had the last word at an empty tomb that we can trust and believe in Christ today. Aren't you thankful for that? Hey, we want to thank you for being here with us this morning. And I want to take a moment just to welcome our Lexington campus. We welcome you. Thank you. We give them a hand, Lexington. We love Shelby. And those of you online with us, we're thrilled to have you. We want to welcome you. We're thankful you're here as well with us. We have a great time planned for our message. You know, one of the things I love about Cross is we get to have the chance to have people that speak across the country, speak to the importance of Christ, gospel-centered messages across the country. And we get to have them as guests to come and join us. And, and we're thrilled to be able to have with us one of our friends, one of my friends, uh, a man that I, I look up to, I really respect, and I see God using in great ways across our country, Dr. Thomas White. He is the president of Cedarville University. And so students in the room, pay attention as you're looking at universities or colleges. Take a look at Cedarville University. They have experienced the last five, six years, it's been a phenomenal growth, record numbers at Cedarville. And can I tell you why? One of the things that I love about Dr. White and his staff there and what they focus on, they're mission statement is for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So in a world where even secular universities are turning away from the truth of Scripture, Cedarville University is standing firm on the truth of Scripture. And what's happening is God is doing some amazing things there, and there's been record growth over the last few years as they have, they have hit a nerve with people that are looking for places that stand firm on the truth of God's Word in Jesus Christ. And so we're thankful for his ministry. He has a, a, a Ph.D., uh, from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And this past year, he's been married for 20 years, just celebrated in, in July, 20 years of marriage to his sweetheart, Joy, who is a fantastic lady. And uh, they have two kids together, Rachel and Samuel. And we're so thrilled to have him here with us to join us. And so would you welcome our friend and brother, uh, Dr. Thomas White. I appreciate your pastor. I appreciate this church. It's an honor to be here with you today. And so I want to speak to you today from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. So pull out your Bibles, pull out your technology, whatever it is, get to the right app. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. We're going to walk through those verses this morning. As we walk through those, let me set it up in this way. The beginning of our text in an introductory section basically says, look carefully then how you walk. Now, if you're looking at the NIV, it might say live rather than walk. Walk is a recurring theme throughout the book of Ephesians. And so that word carefully can actually go with the word look, or it can go with the word walk. It can go either one. There's a huge commentaries have written pages and pages about the difference. It really doesn't matter which one you attach it to, because think about this. If you are looking carefully... As you're walking, that really is the same thing as walking carefully. So in, in our minds, when do we walk carefully? Well, for me, I grew up in South Carolina. I, I, in South Carolina, when you have like three snowflakes that just fall from the sky, you cancel school and you empty out all of the bread and the milk from all the shelves, even if you're lactose intolerant and gluten-free. I mean, it just, 
It's just what you do. It doesn't matter. So when I moved up here and, and saw the snow and the ice, it was a new experience for me. I would walk with short steps, with my hands out, taking very deliberate strides, making sure I didn't slip on the ice. I mean, I walked in a different way. I was careful. I looked and I walked both carefully because of the ice and the snow. Maybe you do the same thing. Maybe you don't have any issues with that. I don't ice skate very well, and so that's a thing for me. I need to walk carefully. Think about this illustration. If you're going hiking and you're going up to the top of a mountain and you're, you're going to one of those parts, that they usually have some area where if you were to slip and slide, there is a, a downward angle that could be devastating to you. It could be really bad if you were to slide off to that. Perhaps in, in my mind for this illustration, there's a, there's a rock, there's some mossy areas, perhaps some glistening of the sun over some moisture that's in this area and it's slick. And so as I'm coming to an area like this, I would, I would look for a tree perhaps to grab a hold of or a branch to hold on to, or, or might even lower my body down some to where I could, could be closer to the ground in case I slipped. I might put my foot on that rock to see if it was really slick or if it's going to provide some firm footing. So in that particular moment, I'm looking and walking carefully. Okay, one more picture for you. How many people in the room have ever gone up the down escalator? Raise your hand. I know I'm not the only one. There are some of us. Yes, we are sinful in our nature, but it's okay. We, we approach the escalator, and there's the one that goes up. And we look and we see nobody around. And the thought crosses our mind. Why not go up the down? Why? I don't know. Because I'm not supposed to. Because it's here. I don't. Because it'll be fun. I, let's do it. And you begin to go up the down. Now, if you've ever done this, when you go up the down escalator, you have to keep moving. If you stop, you don't go up. I know you. No, you write that down. You can take notes on that this morning if you want. You, you have to go up. You have to keep moving, so you're watching. You're moving. You're constantly going. And then if somebody happens to appear at the top, we all know what we do, right? We do this. And we just pretend we were riding it down, and then you get down to the bottom, and then you move off to the side. You wait till they leave. Oh, and then if you want to do it again, you take off right back up the down escalator. You have to hurry. You don't waste your time. See, the Christian life is kind of like being on a down escalator. We inherited from Adam and Eve a sin nature that all of us have. If you don't believe humans have a sin nature, sin nature just have babies and they'll prove it to you. I mean, it's, sin nature is evident. You don't have to teach kids how to lie or how to be selfish. or They just know. It's natural. And even though we're saved, even though we are new creations in Christ, we still have what Paul calls the flesh. That flesh causes us to have hearts prone to wonder. So Romans chapter 8 talks about being new creations in Christ. He talks about how we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh through the power of the Spirit. It's not talking about your skin and flesh. It's talking about that sinful nature that's left over the residue that causes us to want to flee from the God who loves us. So we are on a down escalator, and if we are not constantly striving to make progress, then we are constantly moving farther and farther away from God. So in our spiritual life, we must look carefully at how we walk. Now, here's your central idea of the text. This is the main idea I'm going to drive at this morning. Choose every day, every single day. We go to bed. We hit the reset button. We wake up the next morning. We get out of bed. We're thinking, Lord, today, help me to walk in wisdom filled with the Spirit. Choose every day to walk in wisdom 
filled with the Spirit. That's your main idea. Let's read our text. Our text in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's your outline today. We're going to break this down into three separate sections. We're going to talk about the contrast, the different images that are contrasting images. We're going to talk about the command to be filled with the Spirit. And then we're going to talk about the characteristics that come from being filled with the Spirit. So we begin by looking at the contrast. The contrast says to walk not as the unwise, but as the wise. Now, what does that mean? Wisdom could have a whole lot of different implications. We could talk about that for a long time. But here, Paul tells us in verse 16, kind of where he's drilling to. It says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we should recognize that all of us have a limited amount of time. All of us, no matter what your economic standing, no matter who you are, you get 60 seconds in every minute. 60 minutes in every hour, 24 hours in every day. For all of us, it is appointed a time to be born, and it is appointed a time to die. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, tells us to number our days so that we may live a life of wisdom. We need to look at the time and be wise about this and recognize we're on this earth for a limited amount of time. Don't waste it. What are we going to do with it? So as we think about how we use our time, there's so many different things we could say. But I'll say this to you in setting up what we're going to come to later. Those who fail to have a plan for how they're going to use their time plan to fail. If you don't have a plan at all, you're actually planning to fail. We think about our time and we think about the time we waste. There are certain things that we do with social media or with games or with new apps that come along or with Netflix and TV shows we like. Are we using our time wisely? Are we doing things that may not be sinful? They may not be wrong, but they may be eating up large chunks of time and we're giving them to things that are just kind of mindless activity rather than giving them to something that would be better, something that would be more profitable for us and for the kingdom. Do we recognize that every time we say yes to one thing, we automatically say no to something else? So we have 24 hours in the day. If we're going to give two hours of our day over to this, then that's two hours of our day we can't give to something else, and there's only a limited amount of time. Maybe we need to evaluate where we're spending our time so that we can look at our priorities to say, are we spending the time in the right places? Are we being wise at how we use our time? Or are we being unwise? There's a contrast here that he's drilling down to. There's another contrast that's mentioned here. It says, do not be foolish but understand the will of the Lord. So when I hear that word foolish, my mind immediately goes back to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs reminds us of the unwise fool in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18 and verse 23. The one who is careless in Proverbs 14, 26 and 21, 20. The one who lacks understanding, doesn't understand who God is and who he is and what this world's all about and the cosmic battle that's taking place. 
in Proverbs 17, 18. The one who despises wisdom not only doesn't seek it, but doesn't want it, despises it. That's the fool. Somebody who doesn't want to understand the meaning of life or why they're here or what's supposed to take place. In Proverbs 1, 22, he refuses to acknowledge a dependence on God, acts foolishly, even presumptuously, if you will. And the contrast is set up. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. So, so we flip to the other side of that, understanding the will of God. Now, I, I'm on a university campus. There are a lot of things that people want to understand about the will of God for their life. What should I major in? What vocation should I pursue? Should I get married? Should I stay single? Who should I marry? What state should I live in? What job should I take? All of these questions. And often when we think about the will of God, all we think about are the detailed questions of the next decision that's to be made. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate it to where we actually seem like, I can't know the will of God. But the Bible is pretty clear. Let's consider some of these verses that help us understand what the will of God is for us. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't be prideful in your own thinking. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. There's a humility there. Fear the Lord. Acknowledge him. Turn away from evil. Ecclesiastes, the book written by Solomon, the wisest man in all of the world, the preacher as it calls him. He walks through all of these things, vanity of vanities, life is a vapor. He gets to the end of it, and he says, the wisest man to ever live says, this is the conclusion of the matter. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. So it's pretty easy to understand the will of the Lord in that sense. Fear God, keep his commandments. That's hard enough in and of itself. We do that, we're understanding the will of the Lord. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. Oh, great. I get to know what God thinks is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Perfect. What is it? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Think about Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world. We are not to be molded in the image of this world and all the things it's after. It says, but we are to be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewal of our mind. How do we renew our mind? Well, that's God's word daily going into us. That's our time with the Lord. That's why we come to church. That's transforming our mind. We are transforming and renewing our mind. Why do we do this? So that we may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18 says this. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. A constant conversation with God is our friend. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there we have it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. It begins, for this is the will of God. Oh, great, perfect. I can know the will of God. What is it? Your sanctification. You're growing more like Christ. You're growing more holy. You're growing more set apart from the world, devoted to Christ's purposes on this earth. Sanctification. Well, that's great, but that word's a big word. I don't know what that means. That's not very helpful. It goes on. That you abstain from sexual immorality. 
that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger. And all the Marvel movie fans in the room just said amen and have a new life first because they just realized the Lord is an avenger. All right, I'm just kidding. But it is funny. In all these things, as we were told beforehand and solemnly warned you, last verse for you, just thinking about the will of God, 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God. Perfect. What is it? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Do good. Sanctification. Follow God. When you start thinking about the will of God, don't think about all these things that you can't decide. It's the basics. It's our sanctification. So there's another contrast here that's set up. It continues on in verse 18. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, in a contrast, be filled with the Spirit. So debauchery. That's a word we don't use very often. That word means behavior, which shows a lack of concern, or a lack of thought for the consequences of an action. That kind of fits with just getting drunk, right? You just don't care what's going to happen after that. You have a lack of concern for the implications. It can also mean a senseless deed, a reckless deed, or recklessness. So kind of what our text is saying is do not get drunk because it results in reckless deeds. It results in actions without thoughts of the consequences of those actions. That fits. So think about it. Has anything good ever happened after somebody uttered the words, let's go get drunk? I can't, I can't think of anything. Hey, but here's the point of our text. Is it's a contrast between being controlled by drunkenness, by a liquid, or perhaps we might want to think of it by, by a drug or something of that nature, versus being controlled, but it states that it's being filled with the Spirit. Now, that word filled with the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit does not mean that I bring my spiritual cup to church, they fill it up every week, and then I leave, and I sip on it all week long, and then I bring it back the next Sunday, and they fill it up. It doesn't mean I'm filled up so that I'm overflowing. It means controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you are filled with anger, you're controlled by the anger. It, it determines how you're going to act. If you are filled with envy, it controls how you're going to act. So the contrasting image that is set up here is do not be drunk with wine. Do not be controlled by the substance. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So we think about controlled by the substance first. Let's drill deeper into what that means. We all know somebody that's addicted to or controlled by a substance of some form. You watch their life and they are just so caught up and addicted into this that it's constant. It's almost like they just can't resist it. It's just the calling and they're just, it's like the, it's like the ring. It, you just can't resist it. There's just this pull to it. And you're like, you're destroying your life. You're just being pulled to something that's bad for you. Can't you see that this is harmful for you? And because of the addiction, because of the drugs, because of whatever it is, they are just pulled into it and it destroys them. It controls them. Every action, they wake up. What can I get more? How do I get more? How can I get the money to go get more? How can I spend more time doing this? Everything is controlled by those actions. Think about the person who's been drinking or who's been drunk. We've, we've all seen people sometimes, the introvert, uh, the person that doesn't say a whole lot, all of a sudden they, they, get, they get drunk and then they start spilling out their entire life story to you and they start telling you everything 
that all of the history, all, and they start, oh, I always want to tell you, oh, I love you, man, and tears are coming from their eyes, and they're hugging everybody, and, and everybody's sitting around looking at them going, man, I liked you better when you didn't talk, and so it's just stop. And, and you say, what's wrong with him? Well, it's, it's the alcohol talking. He's controlled by the substance. You get the image he's talking about here, right? It, you've seen the guy. He's like four foot two and a buck oh five soaking wet. And all of a sudden, he has some shots of liquid courage. And all of a sudden, he thinks the guy that's six foot eight, 450 pounds of pure muscle, he can take him. I can take that guy. I can take him out. And all of a sudden, starts going up there. And you're like, no. This, I've read David and Goliath. This is not going to end that way. This is bad for you. No. This is going to hurt. And especially in the morning when you can actually feel something. Don't do this. This is a bad idea. Why in the world would somebody do this? Oh, it wasn't him. It was the substance talking. Controlled. We even talk about it. Uh, driving while under the influence is against the law. We recognize that these substances lower our ability to be our best person. So you, you can't carry a concealed handgun if you're influenced. You can't drive a car if you're under the influence. Your reactions aren't there. You're not your best person. You are being controlled by something that's taking advantage of you. Don't be controlled by the substance. But the contrast, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. So me and myself being a sinful rebel against King Jesus with my sinful nature, with my flesh, I am prone to want to flee from him. I am prone to want to be self-centered. I want to make my universe all about me. I want to be the master of my domain. It's all about my world, and y'all are just living in it. That's the sinful nature. But this text says, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then causes me to do things that are not natural. Causes me to do things like forgive people when I have no reason to forgive them. To give generously to other people when I have no reason to give generously to anybody. I should keep it all for myself and be selfish, right? That's what the world thinks. But we see the fact that God has forgiven me far more than I could ever forgive anybody else. And God has given to me more generously than I could ever give to anybody else. So all I'm doing is reflecting my Savior. It's part of my sanctification when I'm doing things that demonstrate I'm being controlled by the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to be controlled by the Spirit so that your actions then are reflecting God. We are walking in a life of biblical wisdom Choosing to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So we looked at the contrast. Now let's look at the command. The command is be filled with the Spirit. There's some things we need to take note about this. First of all, it is a command. Anybody in the room ever served in the armed forces? Ever served in the military? We've got a couple that served in the military. If you've served in the military and your commanding officer comes up to you and gives you a command, is that command negotiable? I heard some laughter. Can you imagine? Commanding officer comes up. Give me push-ups. Go run a mile. Whatever the command would be. And you were to say, eh, yeah, I don't really feel like it. I'm a little sleepy. I think I want to go take a nap. It's afternoon siesta. It's a good thing. You know, I, I need second breakfast first. Yeah, maybe after I get some pizza or something. What happens? We chuckle. Because you recognize a command is a command. <laughs> if you have kids, you understand this principle, right? I'm telling you to go do this. Oh, yeah, whatever. Count of three. 
No, 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 I'm serious this time. No, it's a command. The voice raises, the eyebrows furrow. It's a command. Don't you get this as a command? So the text is screaming at us this morning. This is a command. Who's it a command from? King Jesus. From God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who saved us, commands us, be filled with the Spirit. Don't take it lightly. It's present tense. It's not past tense. It's not that you're going to be filled with the Spirit once and then you're done. Every day you wake up and you need to live a life characterized by being under the control of the Holy Spirit in your life, filled with the Spirit, present tense, every single day. It is plural, which means it's not just for your pastor or your worship leader or for the ministers of your church. It's for all of us. If you are in this room and you have repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ and call yourself a Christian, you are commanded to be filled with the Spirit every single day, present tense, all the time, and it's passive. Be filled with the Spirit, which means what typically happens is in our lives, the Spirit leads us, the Spirit tells us, don't do this, do this. We get to something in our life where we say, nope, too far. I'm not going to do it. The Bible talks about how at that moment, we have then quenched the Holy Spirit, like we've taken a water hose and kinked it so the water's not coming out. And the Bible talks about how that quenching of the Holy Spirit grieves the Holy Spirit, because God knows what's best for us. God knows ultimately what is the best thing for us to do for his glory and for our joy. And instead, we are saying, no, I know best for my life, God. Even though I get the fact that you're all-knowing and that you've been around a lot longer than I have because you're eternal and I'm not, I know better for my life. I want to do it my way. And at that point, we have quenched and grieved the Holy Spirit in our life. And we have as much of the Holy Spirit as we want. We are sanctified as much as we want because we're done. And the Lord keeps chipping away at those rough edges and all of a sudden we have to say, all right, God, I'm gonna give in because I see your way is better and I repent of my sin and I get back in right fellowship with God and that's where the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us and work on us. That's kind of how the process goes. It's a command, it's present, it's plural, it's passive. Fortunately for us, there's also a parallel verse. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, if we were to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, this is a parallel passage. Now, a parallel passage means Paul has written to the church at Colossae. He says about the exact same thing, but he uses a different phrase for this be filled with the Spirit, which is going to help us clarify what exactly this means. So let me read to you Colossians 3, 16 and 17, and how closely it resembles this. And I want to show that to you. Colossians 3, 16 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now let's compare these two. If you were to look at Ephesians on one side and Colossians on the other, both of these have in there address one another and admonish one another. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Giving thanks to God the Father. But look at the difference in the very first line. Be filled with the Spirit. What does it say? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How is it that you know what the word of Christ is? Fortunately for us, God has revealed himself to us 
through the Holy Spirit, speaking through authors, writing down his word in such a way that it's called God breathed. It's as though God himself were breathing through these authors to record his revelation of himself to us. It records the very words of Christ. And in the Trinity, it records what the Godhead is, how we should know about them, what we should know about us, how we should understand the one true God. We have the word of God. And if we don't let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, then we jump back up to using that time wisely, then we are not fulfilling the walking in wisdom. We are not walking carefully spiritually. So let me drill deep on this point right here. Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Have you hidden God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him? Are you reading and meditating and memorizing the Word of God? Or are you just kind of saying, well, I'm just going to grow spiritually by osmosis. I'm going to sleep and let God do it. Think about life. We have plans for everything. In fact, there's a whole business of making planners, calendars and planners. And then they make all of these pencils. And there are some of you out there that do this. I guarantee you. My wife does this. I'm not talking bad about you. She has like 18 different colors for all these different things. And everybody in our house has their own color. And they have, she loves her boxes so much and checking them off. She has one that says make a to-do list and one that says finish the to-do list just because that's two more boxes she gets to check. And they're in different colors than the other ones are because that's, we plan. Now, how many of you are confessing out there? Yeah, I like that. Yep, me and your wife get along well. Now, I do the electronic version of that. I have a phone, an iPad, and a watch that tells me where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to be. I just live by all of that electronic planning. We plan. That's what we do. But then why is it that spiritually we don't look carefully how we walk? We don't have a plan. We see, I've been a Christian for like 20 years, and, you know, I haven't really noticed much of a difference. Do you have a plan? I could have a membership to the Y for 20 years, but if I never show up to lift weights, it's not going to help me physically either, right? I got the card. I'm carrying my gym membership. But have you ever got in there and sweated? Have you ever lifted a weight? Have you ever seen what a treadmill looks like? I mean, do you have a plan? I mean, we plan in everything but our spiritual life. We don't plan to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We don't plan to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We don't plan wisely for how we're going to walk spiritually. So my, my challenge to you is get a plan. Say, so, well, I don't like to read. Well, I, gotta, I have a problem with that because I'm a university president and I need to have a problem with that, right? But you can listen to it. That's no excuse. You can get an app on your phone and you can press that app and it can daily read the Bible to you while you're putting on makeup or while you're going to that gym that you need to be using your membership now that you've been reminded or while you're running or while you're driving. In fact, the book of Ephesians, I have the ESV uh, MP3s on my phone. I can listen to the book of Ephesians and it takes about 20, 25 minutes. Most of you have a commute or at some point in your day, you've got 20 to 25 minutes where you're listening to either bad news about society or you're listening to music. You could be listening to the entire book of Ephesians, filling your mind with the word of God so that the word of Christ dwells in us richly. My plan, I read Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs every single morning. And, and it's, you can choose to read it the whole Bible in a year or two years or do whatever. Let me, if you've never had a plan, don't pick a plan that's too much for you to keep. 
Don't pick a plan to where it's like working out four hours a day because you're not going to do it. Just get a, get a plan. Get started. You can read a chapter in Proverbs a day for 30 days. That's a decent plan to start with. Just read a few verses. Do something. Get a plan. Now, the reason I do it the way I do it is because if I read straight through the Old Testament, I hit places where so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so begets, so-and-so, and I'm just like, I don't get anything out of that. It's God's Word. I respect it, but, I mean, it's for daily. And if I read the book of Job, I mean, they, they call that book like Depression 101 because you read the book of Job and he was a holy man. All this stuff happened and you're just like, come on. I need some Corinthians or something in there to give me some hope of the gospel while I'm reading some Job. So I, I jump around in some various things. That's the way I do it. I don't care what your plan is. Just get a plan. And if you don't have a plan, any plan's better than no plan. Get a plan. And the plan can't be, I'm going to wake up every morning, I'm going to flip, I'm going to point, I'm going to read that. That's not a plan. That's, come on, you guys get it, right? Get a plan. Memorize. Meditate. We tell our kids, memorize scripture. It's good for you. It's good for us too. It, it didn't stop being good for us just because we turned 15 or whatever. So we still have those goofy child CDs where they sing the songs over and over and they get stuck in your head and you can't get them out. So if any of you are musically talented and you want to make some cooler CDs with Scripture that will get stuck in our head, I would welcome that. I'm just saying, and you can let me know when you get done with it. But have a plan. If you don't have a plan, get a plan, any plan. If you have a plan, is your plan working? Is it a good plan? Because you're going to have a plan in your life for other things. So I'm at a university. We have plans like degree plans. You want to be an engineer? We got a plan for that. We have 150 different programs of study. You want to be what, a pharmacist? You want to be in education? You want to be in whatever? We got a plan for that. The plan is you take all these classes and then you graduate. You get a degree. That degree says, I did what the plan was. I can go do this in culture, in society. Each one of those plans has different classes. Each one of those classes has a plan. That plan is called the syllabus. Each one of those days on the syllabus has something that you have to do. It's a plan. So there's a plan to give you a body of knowledge that gets you to the end goal. Our goal is to be mature followers of Christ and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Get a plan to get you there. If you don't have a plan, don't complain when life doesn't seem to be going well. Get a plan. Get plugged into the church. Get in a small group. Read your Bible. Spend time praying. Memorize Scripture. Meditate on Scripture. Read a systematic theology textbook. If this book is the most important book in all of the world, you should read a book that helps you understand what it says, what you should believe, and how you should apply it to your life. You're like, I don't want to read a systematic book. That sounds boring. It may be boring, but it's good for you. It's like eating vegetables. I don't want to eat vegetables, but I can't have chocolate Frosties and double cheeseburgers every single day without dying. So I eat vegetables. I run so I can eat cheeseburgers and chocolate milkshakes. It's the way we do life. Get a plan. January 1st, many of you will have a plan to get in better shape. It'll probably end by January the 4th, but you'll have a plan, and your plan will be something along the lines of, I'm going to eat less and work out more, because you want a plan. Get a spiritual plan. All right, have I stomped on that one enough? Maybe not, but I'm going to move on. This leads to characteristics. These characteristics, I've got three of them for you. Joyful, thankful, and humble. Here's where I get them from. It says in verse 19, Address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You can't sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart if you're not joyful. If you are a Christian and you're not joyful, that's a problem. It also says in the next verse, Giving thanks always and for everything to God, 
That's thankful. And then it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's humble. Now think about this. We all have characteristics we're known by. In fact, all of us probably went through this time period that if purgatory were real, it probably would be what purgatory is going to be like. That's called middle school. Any of you guys know what middle school is? Yeah. Where, where people are old enough to tell you the truth, but young enough to just blurt it out and not put it in nice phrases, and so they just shoot straight. So in middle school, I was known by two characteristics. The first one was that I had a really big forehead. Now, all of you are looking at my forehead right now. Stop that. I, I'm just... The, the second one was that I'm bow-legged. Can you see that? I can actually put a soccer ball between my knees with my legs locked out. I'll turn this way so y'all can get a good view of, of, can y'all see, see it from over there? Do you know what they said about me in middle school? They said, he walks with his knees in parentheses. <laughs> you should not be laughing at that. That's mean. <laughs> I'm going to go to counseling after I get through with this. It's, it's kind of funny, though, too, right? Because it's true. And, and bow-legged people know other bow-legged people because there's a special way we walk, and we know how we walk. We see somebody, we're like, they're bow-legged too. You just know it. Now, I don't know why God all of a sudden decided he's going to be bow-legged. It's not like I'm a cowboy and ride horses for a living or anything. I don't understand it, but that's a characteristic. So, so let me ask you about this. What's the characteristic you're known by? Not the silly, superficial, physical characteristic, but what would people say about you spiritually in a way that matters? Think about that end of life. We all get a certain number of days. Appointed to man wants to live, wants to die. It's going to come at the end of life. What are they going to say about you? And, and I don't mean the silly, trivial things. Because when people die, we make saints out of all of them. I mean the genuine, real things. Now, if your spiritual gift is the spiritual gift of discouragement, then you need to put that gift away and not use it anymore, all right? If your spiritual gift is a spiritual gift of being overly critical, then I'm glad you have it, don't use it. It's like a superpower with great responsibility. Put it away, hide it. What is your gift? What are the characteristics you want to be known by? Humble, thankful, joyful, faithful, godly, dependable. Whatever those characteristics are, those are the things you want to be known by. Write those top two or three on a sticky note. Put it on your mirror when you're getting ready and brushing your teeth every morning. You look at those characteristics and you say, today, I'm going to choose to walk in wisdom filled with the Holy Spirit, displaying these characteristics because I want to be that person and I'm never going to be tomorrow what I am not becoming and being right now today. Each day, I'm going to be that until it's such a habit that that's the type of person everybody's going to call me when they see me. They're going to see that these are the characteristics I possess. Choosing every single day to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. You see it here. Joyful. Be the type of person that when people see you walking down the hallway, they want to go talk to you because you're always smiling and you're always joyful. Don't be the person that when they see you walking down the hallway, they go, oh, I need to turn in here because I don't want to talk to him because there's another problem coming. There's three of them. I don't want to hear it. Be a joyful person. Be a thankful person. Now, this is not trivial. This is hard. When we get news about something that's happened that's devastating, and it, you can't just be trivial and say, oh, I'm thankful for that. The only way you can be thankful for what happens in this life is to have an eternal perspective. 
that you understand one day God will make all things new, and in that we can be thankful. In a hard time, and even in trivial ways, how are you thankful for mosquitoes? I don't know anybody's thankful for mosquitoes. You're probably gonna come, don't come up and tell me a medical reason why we should be thankful for mosquitoes. The only thing that I'm thankful about mosquitoes is that I get to swat them with my electronic tennis racket. I, I have one of those tennis rackets that has the electronic button on it, and you can swat those things, and you hit that electricity button, and it just makes me happy when I hear that noise. And then there's this smell and this smoke that comes up. And, it makes me joyful, which is a godly characteristic when I, I am smiting them with the wrath of God onto their blood-sucking little selves. And so, and I'm happy. Now, I'm joking, but I'm making light of the fact the only way we can be thankful for this life is if we understand the next one is where we're home. We are pilgrims passing through this fallen earth that groans to be made new. And be humble. I don't even like the word submission. I bristle against it, but that's my flesh. The Bible tells us to submit one to another, to be humble. It's not about us, it's about him. So what characteristics are you displaying? Here's the point of our text. Choose every day. Every single day when I wake up, I'm going to walk in wisdom. I'm going to take those steps up that down escalator. I'm going to make sure I'm in the Word, reading, meditating, memorizing. I'm going to make sure I've surrounded myself with a godly church and godly people. And I'm going to walk in wisdom, choosing every day to live being filled with the Spirit. And when I slip and when I fall and when I don't do it, I'm going to repent and I'm going to get back up the next day and I'm going to go back up that mountain. I'm going to go back up that escalator and when it's hard, I'm going to keep pressing on because there's a prize at the end of it and my eyes are focused on Jesus and I'm going to run the race and one day he's going to make all things new and that includes me and my sin nature and all of my fallenness and all the evil we see in the world because he's worth the prize and that's why every day we keep charging to make all things new eventually by living a life of wisdom filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh God, may it be so in my life, may it be so in all of our lives that we would choose every day to walk in wisdom. Lord, help us to have a plan and to have a good plan that works. Lord, help us to use our time wisely and not waste our lives. Lord, help us to seek to redirect our affections to you for you are worthy and you know best. God, help us each day to be living a life filled with the Spirit, characterized by good, godly, right, wholesome characteristics. Lord, help us to love you above all and to love others as ourselves. Not for our glory, Lord, but for yours, for you are worthy. And your name is to be praised. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.